Discover new technology and endless comfort with Victoria's Secret's number one collection, Body by Victoria. With over 3,500 five-star reviews, see what all the hype is about when it comes to their best-selling styles. Their latest innovation features lightweight construction that provides support where you need it without an ounce of padding. Experience unlined perfection with the nearly undetectable Invisible Lift Demi Bra, or comfortably reduce your bust line by up to one inch with the Invisible Lift Minimizer Bra. Available in cups A through G and bands 30 to 44, that's 43 sizes in 22 styles. Shop now at your nearest Victoria's Secret store and online at victoriasecret.com. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a midsize SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower hybrid max powertrain on limited and platinum trims, delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you can always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash grandhighlander. Hey, folks, it's Maria. I've got to share this game changer, Akalo's D3 patch. Forget pills. This patch delivers vitamin D3 10 times longer. Boost your immune system, sleep better, regulate mood, and support bone and heart health. Wear a patch before bed and leave it on for 24 hours. It's that simple. Living in the Pacific Northwest without much sunlight, these patches are great for me. Or if you find yourself dealing with the winter blues, they're discreet and perfect for my sensitive skin. Oh, and they even have a patch for hangovers and jet lag if that's something that affects you. Try them today with a money-back guarantee at acalo.co. Take charge of your health. That's A-K-A-L-O dot C-O. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Anne Odelia Disdibar was a medium and a psychic who was once described by the famous escape artist, magician, and stunt performer Harry Houdini as, quote, one of the most extraordinary fake mediums and mystery swindlers the world has ever known. She made her name as a spiritualist with occult powers, but she was 100% fraud. And from 1870 to 1910, roughly the time she was active in the con game, newspapers called her, quote, the world's worst woman. And in this episode, we're going to meet her. Welcome to Criminalia. I'm Maria Tremarchi. And I'm Holly Fry. Anne was born Aditha Solomon in Kentucky in 1849. Probably. She was probably named Aditha Solomon. For a woman who used dozens of aliases, we don't really know what name she was given at birth. It was also probably in Kentucky, and it was probably in 1849, perhaps in February. There don't seem to be any reliable records of her birth, so this is the information that most historians agree upon. According to the Feminist Studies Association, her father may have been Professor John C.F. Solomon, who taught music at the Greenville Female Institute in Harrodsburg, Kentucky. Honestly, the best accounts of who she was and how she lived 
come from her arrest records and her court records over the course of her 40 or so year long crime spree. Anne was arrested and incarcerated a lot, and usually for fraud. Editha operated under many aliases as a con artist during America's Gilded Age. Among her other identities, and this list is long, were, as we know, Anne Odelia Disty Barr, Annie Solomon, Editha Lola Gilbert Montez, the Baroness Rosenthal, Princess Lola of Bavaria, Madame Masson, the Countess de Fleury, Angel Anna, Blanche Solomon, Claudia Darvey, Elora, Madame Cagliostro, Mrs. Monell, Edith Distabar, Della Ann O'Sullivan, Sister Ignatius, Mrs. Marsh, Miss Eleanor Morgan, the Veiled Prophetess, Miss Vera P. Ava, Mrs. William J. McGowan, Mrs. Howard, Princess Editha Lolita Jackson, Laura Jackson, Swami Viva Ananda, Swami Helena Horos, Swami Laura Horos, Edith T. Murray, the New Eve Reverend Mother Eleanor T. Mason, and the White Mahatma Adiva Vidya. British occultist and one of the founders of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, Samuel Little McGregor Mathers, believed briefly that she was the Countess Anna Sprengle of Lansfeld. It's Anne Odelia Destibar, though, that she is the most frequently referenced by of the many names, and that's what we're going to call her as well. And, come on, let's be honest, it's just fun to say. <laughs> Anne did not become a con woman as a victim of circumstance. It appears she was born a con artist. As a young girl, she would frequently run away from home, sometimes for long periods of time, and she always returned with stories of her impossible adventures. By all accounts from her family, she had been a compulsive liar since she was a child and was gifted at grifting, cheating, and taking advantage of others, even those closest to her. Her brother, George C.T. Solomon, once said of her, quote, she is a stranger to every decent element that constitutes humanity. During the years she was a member of our family, we lived in a state of continual fear and turmoil. She has cultivated nothing but bad principles and seems to thrive on them. There is so much to be told about her that it passes human belief. George himself was known to be a notorious gambler, a heavy drinker, and a card shark with a pretty lengthy criminal record. We should note that Anne never acknowledged her family. She instead claimed that she was born in Italy in 1854, the child of King Ludwig I of Bavaria and his mistress, Spanish dancer Lola Montez. Recall, among her aliases was the name Editha Lola Montez. She claimed that she was raised by foster parents and reportedly once badgered the Montez estate into paying her a $300 settlement. A settlement for what exactly we don't know, but we do know that while the family's lawyer thought her claims were utterly unfounded, she still got paid. Sometime in the late 1860s, Anne, likely with a romantic partner according to most reports, moved away from her family. She specialized in amateur small-time scams, which mainly helped her avoid paying landlords and creditors. Whenever creditors caught up with her, or the law caught up with her, She'd perform some sort of grand gesture, which we'll see as her story continues, and she would move on to a new location. In a pinch, she'd pretend to have tuberculosis. 
1924, Harry Houdini's book, A Magician Among the Spirits, was published. And it was part of his campaign against fake fortune tellers and spiritualists. And he devoted an entire chapter to a discussion of Anne. Houdini described her in this way, quote, She did not hesitate to victimize the innocent and the mentally unsound and left behind her a trail of sorrow, depleted pocketbooks, and impaired morals that has seldom been equaled. The marvelous tact with which she devoted her great powers to the purpose of self-aggrandizement and profit is without parallel. And for cunning knavery, Cagliostro, by comparison, seems to have been an amateur. It is alleged that her crimes ranged from the smallest to the largest, with morals as low as one can imagine in a human being, while, worst of all, she flaunted this viciousness openly, making no effort whatever to cloak her degeneracy. Anne was known as cunning and quick-witted. She's been described as plain but stylishly dressed, charming but with a mercurial nature, and a volcanic temper. Anne's con career went beyond fake psychic abilities. She also sought and found success swindling people into hearing the tales of her life on the lecture circuit. Her story, though, was more fantastical than truthful and contained fabrications like she'd been spirited away after her birth and that she had been raised in a convent. Her performance primarily was to pose as the child of Ludwig I and Lola Montez and to talk about her fictional childhood as the Countess Lansfeld and Baroness Rosenthal, phony titles she used before finally deciding to just go ahead and call herself a princess. It's a story she also used to swindle money from interested men. According to Houdini, though she had some success with her princess story lectures, it couldn't make up for the fact that she was always getting caught running her cons. She wasn't a very good con artist, he observed, but she kept trying. Still, because of some successes, Anne was finally able to move herself to New York City around 1870, and that's when her career took off. A few years after arriving in New York, under one of her many aliases, this time as Mrs. Monell, Anne ran her con game on the son of railroad magnate Cornelius Vanderbilt. William Vanderbilt had recently inherited his father's estate, and Anne offered her services as a medium to communicate with the elder Vanderbilt about his wishes, and perhaps even get some investment advice from beyond the grave. William took her up on it and actually made good money from his dead father's alleged investment advice channeled through Anne. But as time went on, William's stock trades became less and less profitable, and he noticed oddities in his profits. So it turns out Mrs. Manell, Anne, had been bilking him the whole time, and he had been unknowingly buying her stocks. Anne was arrested and, faking illness, was confined in a psychiatric hospital on Blackwell's Island in New York. And it's here, according to Eric John Dinwall in his book, Some Human Oddities, Studies in the Queer, the Uncanny, and the Fanatical, where Anne really tried to level up her game. She tried to stab her doctor in an effort to escape. Instead, though, she stabbed a medical student, a person named Paul Noel Messant. What followed was a diagnosis of, and this is in the terminology of this time, insanity. And to Anne, that diagnosis gave her a way out of a con that didn't involve going to jail. And there's an unexpected twist here in this scenario. 
Paul and Anne fell in love. They married, and they had a daughter, Alice. But Paul died young, leaving Anne, who was then going by Madame Masson, a widowed single mother. This was when Anne, it said, really came into her own as a con artist. She decided her cons would take advantage of people's desperation, and she began working as a professional hypnotist. And she had modest success doing so. Her next move was a romantic partnership with General Joseph Hubart Disdibar, who was not actually a general, but was an artist. He designed the official seal for the state of West Virginia. He was also a minor government official in that state. As Anne would tell it, she spirited him away from his wife and children. And the two settled in New York, where, during the 1870s, Anne became a spiritualist. She became involved with Victoria and Tennessee Claflin, outspoken, trailblazing sisters who worked as traveling clairvoyants. They did spiritual work for the Vanderbilts, and they opened some doors for Anne. But as a side note, they were also incredibly interesting women. They were the first female stockbrokers on Wall Street and opened their own brokerage firm named Woodhall, Claflin & Company. Victoria was the first woman to run on a presidential ticket. Her name appeared on ballots in a few states. At the time, Anne also became a follower of Madame Blavatsky. Madame Helena Blavatsky was the 19th century's most famous and infamous occultist. She co-founded the Theosophical Society and is often considered the godmother of the New Age movement. In her new role as a spiritualist, Anne performed seances for anyone who wanted to speak to souls beyond the grave. Between her work as a fake medium and her persona on the lecture circuit as an alleged princess, Anne was beginning to pull in quite a good wage. She had a nice home in New York City, she had domestic help in that home, and she was socializing in the circles of some of the wealthiest people in the city. And naturally, she couldn't resist bilking those new acquaintances for as much money as she could get. We're going to take a break for a word from our sponsor. And when we're back, we'll talk about how Anne couldn't and didn't give up her con games, even when she was exposed publicly as a fraud. When it comes to makeup looks, I really like full glam, but I also often just need an easy day look. And Thrive Cosmetics has been my go-to. I also travel a lot. I'm really guilty of lugging around way too much makeup in my suitcase, and I'm trying to curb that habit. And Thrive's brilliant eye brightener is the key to the whole thing. So instead of packing a bunch of palettes that I may or may not use, I can just throw a few of these slim sticks in my bag and I get all the shimmer and shadow I'm looking for. I streamline my packing. I can blend them together. They blend like butter. And you can layer different colors to get something truly unique. And then you just have your look all pulled together. Your eyes are brighter. You look well-rested. And you look really pretty glam for a very easy look. Thrive Cosmetics beauty products are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. It's easy to see why they get so many five-star reviews. And even better, they give back to communities. For every product that you purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. So you look great and you can feel great about how you got there. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash criminalia for 20% off your first order. Discover new technology and endless comfort with Victoria's Secret's number one collection, 
Body by Victoria. With over 3,500 five-star reviews, see what all the hype is about when it comes to their best-selling styles. Their latest innovation provides support where you need it without an ounce of padding. It's all you. With lightweight construction and technology that smooths, shapes, and supports, these silhouettes are designed to conform to your curves for a natural-looking fit. Experience unlined perfection with the Invisible Lift Demi Bra, a style that moves with you and is nearly undetectable under clothes. Or comfortably reduce your bust line by up to one inch with the Invisible Lift Minimizer Bra. Unbelievable and unforgettable, there's more to explore when it comes to Body by Victoria. Available in cups A through G and bands 30 to 44. That's 43 sizes in 22 styles. Shop now at your nearest Victoria's Secret store and online at victoriasecret.com. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to lifelock.com slash iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at lifelock.com slash iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. You need a vehicle that can meet your family's needs, and Toyota has you covered. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a midsize SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander never makes you choose between passengers and cargo. You can fit both with ease, with three spacious rows and available seating for up to eight, and leg room that makes even long trips comfortable. With Grand Highlander's available 362-horsepower hybrid max powertrain on limited and platinum trims, you can be confident that you have the power, acceleration, and efficiency needed for almost any adventure your family can cook up. And you'll get where you're going in style with a modern, spacious cabin that's perfect for both playdates and date nights. Impressive tech upgrades take the new Grand Highlander to the next level, including a standard digital key, an available panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen. Don't just live life. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash grandhighlander. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk about how Anne expanded her con games to include something called spirit painting and how her act reeled in some very big fish. Anne took her work as a fake medium seriously and decided to add theatrics to her lectures and her readings. Her performances came to be described as strange, and some people reported seeing violent phenomena, such as objects destroyed by phantom hands. There were just enough witnesses to these strange ongoings to make things seem pretty credible. Anne's tricks made the papers, and many around the country became convinced that she had a connection to the spirit world. Anne's primary trick was cold reading, and she was good at it, and she used open-ended and general statements to elicit more specific details from her victims. 
Readings for people looking to contact the deceased was big business at this time in America. Anne built one woman out of $85,000 running this con. She also became known for something called spirit painting and developed a reputation for not only being able to communicate spoken messages from the dead to their living family and friends, but also for producing visual images from those communications as well. At first, Anne's claim was that these paintings, or spook pictures as newspapers called them at the time, were, and we're going to air quote this one, produced by the loved ones of the guests at her seances. But she didn't actually stick with that story for very long. Anne edited that claim and began stating that she created the spirit paintings and that as a medium, the spirit of one of the old masters was working through her hands. It wasn't just readings and paintings, though. As part of the performance, another trick Anne used to pull off her cons was to fill seemingly empty notebooks with dozens of pages of text written by a spirit hand. She accomplished all of these through simple sleight-of-hand tricks. Anne charged between $100 and $5,000 for a sitting, depending on your circumstance. It was in New York City where Anne ran one of her most significant cons, above and beyond what she had done with William Vanderbilt. Enter Mr. Marsh. Wealthy lawyer Luther R. Marsh was a recent widow, and he was desperate for any hint that his departed wife and young daughter were waiting for him in the afterlife. He was a fan of Anne's spiritual work, and it did not take long for her to have him hooked. Houdini wrote of the situation that Marsh's brilliance in the field of law did not keep him from being, quote, an exceedingly easy mark. According to historian Edmund Richardson, Anne didn't just share fake messages from Marsh's wife and daughter from beyond the grave. She also used her spirit painting techniques to produce images of them, and he hung those paintings around his house. When she advised him that their spirits wanted him to sell his Madison Avenue townhouse to her for $100, he didn't hesitate. She then turned the building into a spiritualist temple of truth. Marsh was so impressed by Anne that he planned a public exhibition of her capabilities. But he planned this without her knowledge, and that meant that he had inadvertently put his favorite medium on the spot with no time to prepare. Anne, a total faker, was not surprisingly unable to replicate the spectral wonders that she had become so famous for when she was suddenly asked to conjure them in a situation that she did not carefully control. When the art critic for the New York Sun saw and then dismissed her spiritual works on display as second-rate copies, Anne replied, quote, It is nothing to the press what I am. If I am a fraud, I must stand the exposure. I can be a very charming woman, or I can be Lady Macbeth. Luther Marsh's friends and family became worried when he essentially gave away his lavish townhome to a woman he didn't know and who was pretty clearly a charlatan. And there was another group of people angered by Anne's actions, stage magicians. Practitioners of stage magic perform illusions, but they don't scam people out of money by claiming magic is real. Historian Richardson writes that, a number of prominent New York City magicians began publicly replicating Anne's spirit painting effects with simple chemical tricks, a little chalk, some sleight of hand, and they could prove how easily it could be created and how she was a fraud. 
The first to get in on the debunking was the well-known magician Professor Alexander Herman, or Herman the Great, who offered to donate $1,000 to charity if he was unable to replicate Anne's tricks in front of a live audience. He knew he could, and he did. Anne was arrested for fraud. Among the witnesses who came to testify against her at her trial were detectives, magicians, actors, Anne's own brother. Her brother George stated of his sister's character, quote, It would be necessary for others to see her as all her family have, to comprehend the depth and magnitude of her many villainies. Whenever she enters a house, peace departs, and with it, everything portable. Nothing is safe in her hands. As an intriguer, she has few equals and no superiors. I would not believe her under oath under any circumstances. Popular magician Carl Hertz testified for the prosecution at her trial as well, duplicating and debunking in court the tricks she was known to use at her seances. Anne, in response to Hertz, stated, quote, I rest my honor upon its all being done by spiritual power when I do it. Reporters covering the trial found that she had a history of stiffing her creditors and that she also was in a lot of debt. During her trial, Anne stated that she had been visited by the ghost of the Roman orator Cicero and the, quote, Council of Ten, who suggested she return Marsh's property to him. This Council of Ten, or simply the Ten she referred to, was one of the major governing bodies of the Republic of Venice from 1310 till 1797. In light of her new idea, Anne's sentence was lessened, and she spent no more than six months in prison on Blackwell's Island. When free, it's reported she found it impossible to go back to any of her old tricks, as everyone in New York City seemed to recognize her and knew her game. On April 14, 1891, she sent a note expressing her intention to take her own life to the local newspapers, and she jumped off the Staten Island Ferry into New York Harbor the very next day. But no body was ever recovered. And no one heard from Anne again, at least not in New York City. One thing about Anne was, whenever someone caught on to her schemes, she disappeared. It was all a stunt. Anne had jumped from the ferry, but very much alive, she swam to safety. And she donned a new disguise and traveled as Sister Ignatius from New York to Boston. Resurfacing in Boston just a month later under the alias Miss Eleanor Morgan, Anne went to work as a fake medium who quickly made a number of well-to-do friends in the city's spiritualist community. She set up her psychic practice, and while we don't really hear much about her disguising her appearance from city to city, this time we know that she did try to hide her real identity under a blonde wig. When she tried to join Boston's branch of the Theosophical Society, though, reporters caught wind, and once they saw her, questioned whether or not she was actually Anne Odelia Distibar from New York City. Unfortunately for her, not even three months later, the Boston Globe published an expose of her as a con artist. The day the papers hit the stands, Miss Eleanor Morgan was spotted leaving town. Anne tried Cincinnati and Chicago attempting to scam people in new cities, but she had a problem. Her reputation preceded her, and people started recognizing her in every city she went to. Quoting the New York Sun, quote, her campaigns have extended from the Atlantic to the Pacific and from the lakes to the Gulf. 
she skipped out of Kansas City, leaving debts and a reputation as a beer guzzler. That August, living in Chicago, she began calling herself Vera P. Ava, a wealthy Englishwoman and philanthropist. Shortly after she arrived in the city, she told a story that a bank error led to her eviction from the Wellington Hotel. A fellow Englishman, a Mr. Mingay, came to her rescue and graciously allowed her to sublet the second floor of his home. And she did. As Vera, Anne told anyone who would listen about her mysterious past and her spiritual powers. She told the story of how she'd been a member of an order of nuns, but fled the convent because of those special powers. The Catholic Church, she said, continued to pursue her because of those powers. Specifically, she feared the religious order of the Jesuits and claimed they would assassinate her if they had the chance. Not a month after arriving in Chicago, Vera disappeared during a visit to a local Jesuit college. A Father Kelly explained that he saw a woman praying inside the church, but when he returned, she was gone. Vera's local friends and followers suspected foul play, based on her story. But a few days later, Vera was found, fine, wandering the streets of Cincinnati. Vera's story was that she couldn't remember anything about how she got to Cincinnati from Chicago, and neither the Cincinnati nor the Chicago police had grounds at the time to arrest her. In fact, we came across communication between the departments implying neither city wanted to be responsible for her. Reporters, though, wondered why Vera P. Ava seemed so familiar. Her stories and appearance lined up with a woman they knew as, you guessed it, Anne Odelia Disdebar, and police found their observation totally plausible. Vera was outraged <laughs> and offered a $50,000 reward to anyone who brought Anne to town to prove that they were two different women. Vera's con, though, was quickly falling apart. She left Cincinnati for Chicago to try to raise some money through her performances again, holding daily lectures about her life and experiences for 10 cents a show at Cole and Middleton's Clark Street Museum. Cole and Middleton liked the controversy, and in their advertisements for her show, they did not shy away from inferring that Vera P. Ava and Anne Odelia Disdubar were the same person. But the novelty of Vera's lectures wore off quickly, and she returned to holding seances to make her rent. She began advertising herself as the Veiled Prophetess, a former astrologer for the Vatican. In October of 1892, Vera the Veiled Prophetess was arrested after holding seances in Elgin, Illinois, for a Mrs. Irene J. Mitchell who just wanted to communicate with her deceased husband. Vera had absconded with Irene's money and was indicted for larceny, embezzlement, and obtaining money under false pretenses. Vera stood as her own defense, but her testimony was, by all accounts, fairly incoherent when her case went to trial. She stated that she was not Anne Odelia Distibar, even though that question had never been asked of her in the courtroom and had no real bearing specifically on that trial. She told stories, fictional stories, of her history, her spiritual powers, the time she escaped a nunnery in France, and that the Jesuits were trying to kill her. Any money she had, she explained, was a gift from a friend in Indianapolis. If you think it's a story that's hard to believe, so did the jury. The prosecution, on the other hand, focused on her finances. 
When Vera arrived in town, she was broke, but a month later, she was living in luxury. Specifically, according to testimony, on September 19th, Vera had no cash, but on September 20th, the day after she performed a seance for Irene Mitchell, she was flush with cash. Under the assumed name Vera P. Ava, Anne was convicted of larceny and sentenced on March 24, 1893, to two years at the Joliet Penitentiary in Illinois. That's now the Joliet Correctional Center. According to reports in the New York Times during the trial, Anne claimed that she was not the, quote, famous spook priestess that the newspapers called her. The article goes on to report, though, that, quote, Vera is Disdubar, no one doubts. Soon after she was released from prison, Anne married William J. McGowan, who was known for his considerable wealth. In May of 1895, Miss Phoebe Love of Wisconsin brought a lawsuit against a Mrs. William J. McGowan of Chicago. Mrs. McGowan, who was, of course, our Anne, countersued, claiming that Love was a former domestic worker in the McGowan home and had stolen her husband's affections. William, though, it turns out, actually died fairly early in his marriage to Anne. When reporters came around for the story, they immediately grew suspicious that Mrs. McGowan wasn't actually who she said she was. Anne responded that she was, quote, no longer Vera Ava or Anne Odelia Distibar, which, while that's an answer, it isn't a denial about those aliases either. The suits were thrown out, basically seen as a waste of the court's time. This is when Anne, still using the name Mrs. McGowan, found religion in the Koreshian Unity. The Koreshian Unity was a late 19th and early 20th century religious utopian community that believed the following things. That a doctor named Cyrus Teed was the Messiah, that communal living and celibacy were the path to achieving eternal life, and that the world was a concave hollow earth where people lived on the inside crust of the planet. The cult had begun in New York and at this time was now a large commune in Chicago's College Park neighborhood. Anne, as Mrs. McGowan, petitioned to become a member. Members of the cult were not naive to who Mrs. McGowan was versus who she claimed to be, but in a move that brought immediate regret, they made her a provisional member. Immediate regret? Yes, that's because Anne was often drunk, which was against their rules, but mainly it was because Anne exploited them for their money and belongings. After a diamond ring and a gold necklace went missing, she was asked to leave their community. We are going to take a break for a word from our sponsor now, and when we return, we'll talk about Anne's confidence career as she moved from Chicago to New Orleans to Florida to London to Paris to Cape Town and back to New York City. Discover new technology and endless comfort with Victoria's Secret's number one collection, Body by Victoria. With over 3,500 five-star reviews, see what all the hype is about when it comes to their best-selling styles. Their latest innovation provides support where you need it without an ounce of padding. It's all you. With lightweight construction and technology that smooths, shapes, and supports, these silhouettes are designed to conform to your curves for a natural-looking fit. 
Experience unlined perfection with the Invisible Lift Demi Bra, a style that moves with you and is nearly undetectable under clothes. Or comfortably reduce your bust line by up to one inch with the Invisible Lift Minimizer Bra. Unbelievable and unforgettable, there's more to explore when it comes to Body by Victoria. Available in cups A through G and bands 30 to 44. That's 43 sizes in 22 styles. Shop now at your nearest Victoria's Secret store and online at victoriasecret.com. You need a vehicle that can meet your family's needs, and Toyota has you covered. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a midsize SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander never makes you choose between passengers and cargo. You can fit both with ease, with three spacious rows and available seating for up to eight, and a leg room that makes even long trips comfortable. With Grand Highlander's available 362 horsepower hybrid max powertrain on limited and platinum trims, you can be confident that you have the power, acceleration, and efficiency needed for almost any adventure your family can cook up. And you'll get where you're going in style with a modern spacious cabin that's perfect for both playdates and date nights. Impressive tech upgrades take the new Grand Highlander to the next level, including a standard digital key, an available panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen. Don't just live life. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash grandhighlander. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen up. Hangovers cost the U.S. $300 billion in productivity every year. But I've got the secret. Akalo wearable vitamins. Avoid hangovers by preventing them in the first place. Just peel, stick, and enjoy 24 hours of B1 goodness. It's not just for hangovers. Beats jet lag and boosts metabolism, too. Go to Akalo.co today. Trust me, it's a game changer. Plus, with Akalo's money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose except the hangover. That's A-K-A-L-O dot C-O. That's A-K-A-L-O dot C-O. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's continue with Anne's story when she hits the scene in New Orleans. After being invited to leave the Koreshian unity, Anne then decided to start a cult of her own, using her skills as a medium to convince people to join. She turned up in New Orleans as a medium using the alias Mrs. Howard. The citizens of New Orleans weren't aware of Anne Odelia Disdebar or any of her other aliases or her cons, and she soon was comfortable enough to call herself Princess Aditha Lolita. It was also in New Orleans where Anne fell in love. 
On November 13, 1898, she married Frank Dutton Jackson, a real estate developer from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, and the pair became partners not only in life, but in crime. As a team, the two spoke of how they planned to explore the occult and spiritualism and wanted to found a new religion of their own, which they intended to call the Order of the Crystal Sea. For that religion, they stole from the teachings of Cyrus Teed's Coercion Unity for their own doctrine with the addition that members would also follow a fruitarian diet. On May 7, 1899, though, the city of New Orleans expelled Editha Lolita Jackson from their city for being a, quote, suspicious character. And when she decided to ignore that order, authorities jailed her for 30 days. The Order of the Crystal Sea would not find a home in New Orleans, that was clear, and Anne and Frank moved to Florida, where Frank owned land just outside of Fort Myers. It would be perfect for their commune. And, as it turned out, the Coercion Unity community had also moved to Florida. In fact, Frank's land was close to their commune, and the Jacksons were not above poaching members. By the end of the year, the Coreshans outed Aditha as Anne Odelia Disdibar, and the Jacksons abandoned Florida for good. Ultimately, Anne and her husband decided to leave the United States, and the pair relocated across the pond. Now posing as Swami Viva Ananda, Anne tried to ingratiate herself into England's spiritualist and theosophical worlds, but she never had much luck. She wrote to numerous figureheads, but never managed to secure anything more than some brief encouragement. No one sent her money, which was what she was really after. So she and Frank moved to Paris. But it was too hot to pull off any cons, so they left France soon after arriving and then continued on to Cape Town, South Africa. In South Africa, Anne now used the alias Helena Horos, and Frank went by the name Theodore Horos. They lectured on spiritualism and theosophy and also held performances of mediumship and fortune-telling. Anne's history always caught up with her, though, and when newspapers around Cape Town started to out her as a con artist on a global level, Helena and Theodore Horos disappeared. Actually, they just went back to England. In London, Anne and her husband set themselves up with slightly different fictional personas. Anne became the Swami Laura Horos, while Frank, Frank actually just remained Theodore Horos. But many reports suggest in this scenario that Frank pretended to be her son. In October of 1900, they set up what they called the College of Life and Occult Sciences, a school focused on teaching mental and magnetic therapeutics, clairvoyance, mediumship, materialization, thaumaturgy, and divine healing. The school was primarily a front to recruit for their new religion, the Theocratic Unity and Purity League, at the Theocratic Unity Temple near Regent's Park in London. But it was also a great way to gather information with which to blackmail their students. They advertised their services in newspapers such as The People and the now-defunct Western Morning Advertiser. This time, cult recruitment was finally a success for them. Until, that is, one of their members, a woman named Vera Croysdale, noticed that a number of her possessions had gone missing while she was living with the group. Specifically, a golden brooch, a golden matchbox, a silver clock, and a diamond ornament. She blamed Laura and Theodore, and she pressed charges. 
The two were arrested in Birkenhead in September of 1901 and charged with obtaining property by false pretenses. This case made all the papers, and once Anne's picture hit the front page of the newspapers in the U.S., Americans who she had fleeced began contacting Scotland Yard to rat her out not as Swami Horos, but as the swindler Anne Odelia Disdibar. When magician Carl Hertz, who had testified against Anne more than a decade earlier, saw the photo of the alleged Laura Horos in the paper, he immediately wrote to authorities in London to inform them that the person they had in custody was, in fact, the notorious Disdivar. By the time Anne and Frank went to court in October for the formal filing of charges, some of Vera Croisdale's belongings had been returned just as mysteriously as they had disappeared. The couple hoped she would drop the charges if they pretended nothing had happened, but they were wrong. They were charged under the names Frank and Laura Jackson, and Detective Inspector Kane, who was leading the charges against them, stated, quote, I have a criminal record for the woman from Chicago, and I produce her photograph and the particulars of her dimensions. These show that she is a convicted thief, a swindler, and a fortune teller. But this time, the charges brought against them at the Marlboro Street Police Court were not just fraud or theft as they had been in the past. We are going to be talking very briefly about a charge of sexual assault against the Jacksons as part of our discussion of her trial. So if you would prefer to skip that piece of testimony, jump ahead about 20 seconds or so and we'll meet you there. So this time, among the offenses, the pair was charged with the sexual assault of a woman named Daisy Pollux Adams, arising from alleged practices at their temple in London. The trial began at the end of November, and it revealed a sexually coercive aspect of Anne and Frank's cult. Many people were on board to testify against the Jacksons. Vera Croisdale testified about the details of her, quote, peculiar initiation ceremony into the Jacksons' cult and the theft of her belongings. A woman named Laura Faulkner testified that Frank had made a number of inappropriate overtures toward her during her time with the group stating that he called her, quote, his little wife, and that he was her, quote, spiritual husband. Frank also told her that he was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ, that he was to be obeyed, and that sleeping with him was not a sin. Daisy Adams and her mother testified about her violation. When a Dr. Mary Evelyn Bauer Adams testified against the pair, she accused Anne of poisoning her husband. And with that accusation, Frank began to yell she was a liar and had to be silenced in the courtroom. Detective Inspector Kane also brought a mountain of evidence to the trial. He had piles of unpaid bills. He had personal effects stolen from Vera. He had evidence from a book of rituals stolen from the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. He had explicit and indecent photos of cult initiates in various states of nakedness. The Jacksons chose to defend themselves. There were some positive letters of encouragement from journalist and spiritualist W.T. Stead and other prominent spiritualists, but not really much and certainly not in comparison to the evidence against them. Anne was, as in her other trials, incoherent on the stand, and as before, she introduced a number of things, fact or not, which had no bearing on the trial. She maintained her innocence and denied ever using aliases, and she shouted at witnesses that she didn't like. Frank, it's reported, would hiss at people in the courtroom, demanding that they keep quiet while he testified. 
He agreed that he was Frank Dutton Jackson, but he claimed he was Anne's adopted son, not her husband, and she would praise him from her seat, yelling out that he was a, quote, good boy during his testimony. It took the jury just five minutes to find the Jacksons guilty. Anne was sentenced to seven years. That was her longest prison sentence. She was out on parole less than five years later in July of 1906, and upon release from prison in Aylesbury, she disappeared. Frank served 15 years. Anne, of course, resurfaced, and when she did, she resurfaced in the United States. She appeared in a printed interview by the Detroit Free Press in January of 1907, once again under a new alias, Reverend Mother Eleanor T. Mason, High Priestess of the Flying Rulers of the New Eve, and she was running another new religious cult. As Mother Eleanor, she swindled her cult members out of expensive jewels and promised her followers deeds to land that did not exist. In character as the Reverend Mother, Anne was an imposing figure, dressed in purple silks and wearing gold and jewels. One reporter compared her to the Queen of Sheba. She claimed to travel by yacht and have assets as great as $50 million, and these were liquid assets. In her interviews, she claimed to be an ageless immortal, and she stated she was nearly 100 years old. She claimed that Pope Pius IX had recognized her as, quote, the new Eve. But when the Free Press article was published and her real identity was under threat, Mother Eleanor disappeared. Anne still tried to run her old scams in the United States. In 1909, she reappeared in New York City, a bold choice considering the recognition she had there as a swindler. Under the alias Adiva Vidya, Anne had begun teaching physical immortality in initiating her students into what she called the Order of the White Robe at the Mahatma Temple in Manhattan. As Adiva, Anne claimed to have learned yoga in India and also claimed that while there, the Sufi Muslim ascetics nicknamed her the White Mahatma. Reporters, as they always seem to do when it comes to Anne, outed her real identity as a con artist. But this time, people continued to look to her for spiritual guidance. Anne fell back on one of her old money-making schemes, a lecture series. She was booked for one week at Oscar Hammerstein's Victoria Theater, at the time a popular vaudeville house in New York City. But her show flopped. She didn't even last the full week. And just as Anne appeared and disappeared so many times before, this was her last known appearance anywhere, and by the 1930s, Anne was considered missing, presumed dead. So that is a long career as a con artist. I feel that it is tiring just thinking about all those things that she did. She was busy. She traveled a lot of cool places, but then she messed it up. Yeah. You ready for some scam sauce? Yes, please tell me what you have for us in honor of Anne. Okay, just in case anyone thought I was going to key in on her being described as a beer guzzler (laughs) and run with that, I'm going to tell you now that ain't it. Since I'm not the biggest fan of beer anyway, that was not the thing that thrilled me and gave me ideas in this episode. The thing that did is kind of a small part of it, but like my brain became obsessed and I did something that I think was very interesting, and I will teach you a new fun trick while we do this. Yes. I came up with a drink 
called the Order of the Crystal Sea. Because that group was fruitarian, I wanted to do something fruity and interesting. And what I was thinking about, similar to the way we did Poison Society Punch in the first season, I wanted to think about something that they would potentially serve their members. Interesting. But unlike Poison Society Punch, which is intended to be not too heavy and something you could drink a decent amount of, and you wouldn't necessarily risk getting super intoxicated, this one packs a lot more punch. So this is going to start with cantaloupe syrup because they're fruitarians. Fruitarians and melons are delicious. You can buy cantaloupe syrup, but I'm going to highly recommend you make your own. And we're going to start there. And I will tell you why. This is the easiest thing on earth, first of all. You're going to start with a cup of sugar, a cup of water, and a cup of cantaloupe that's small diced. Mm. Like, you want it cut into pretty small chunks. Put those things into a saucepan. Let it simmer. Let that sugar melt into the water and incorporate and dissolve. Let it go for a little while. And when the fruit becomes translucent, if you have a fine potato masher, it's great for this. Just mash it still right there in the saucepan and let it keep simmering a little while longer. As it starts to thicken a bit, you're going to turn off the heat and just let it cool off. Then you will strain it through like a mesh strainer into a receptacle, like a jar or whatever. I put mine into like a wide mouth glass measuring cup and then I poured from there into smaller vessels. Here's the thing. This is a piece of bonus content because while you have your beautiful cantaloupe syrup that has strained through the mesh, the cantaloupe that has been caught in the strainer is essentially cantaloupe jam. (laughs) And I highly recommend keeping that. And listen, did I eat mine just with a spoon? Yes, because it's delicious. But you could put it on ice cream. You could put it on toast. If you like cantaloupe, cantaloupe jam is special and delicious. So Now that you have your cantaloupe syrup, it's time to make the order of the crystal sea. (laughs) And with that, you're going to put an ounce of that syrup into a shaking tin with three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice and an ounce of gin. And for this, you definitely want really a very low-key gin in terms of its flavor profile. Mm -hmm. You don't want something that's super heavy with the juniper flavor. You don't even want some of the more floral gins. You want a pretty smooth not so loud gin. Then you're going to put those three things into your shaker, shake it with ice, strain it into a chilled coupe or a fluted champagne glass if you prefer. And then you're going to top that with champagne or Prosecco if you prefer it. Maria. Yes. I would marry this drink. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still back stuck on cantaloupe jam. Sorry. I'm like, (laughs) I literally took a sip of it and was like, I think I felt like the world had opened up in a beautiful new way. Did you make this drink with your spirit hand? (laughs) Yes, with my spirit hand. I don't know why. It's just super duper delicious. Now, I love cantaloupe, so that's a thing. I do too. If you don't like cantaloupe, I know there are people for whom that's the case. I don't get it, but whatever. (laughs) You could do this with other fruits, but if you're not anti-cantaloupe, I highly recommend it. And I will say... Even though it's a syrup, so there's a lot of sugar, the sweetness of cantaloupe is subtler here Mm -hmm. and you just get the flavor of it, which is really nice. Delicious. If you want to make this as a mocktail, here's what I would do. Three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice, an ounce of cantaloupe syrup, 
an ounce of pretty aggressively steeped lavender tea. Oh my gosh. And you'll do that. And then you'll top that with ginger ale. And that is also very delicious. That sounds like a wonderful summertime, springtime sipping drink that I want now, except I'm freezing cold. Like oh I God. imagine <laughs> and serving her followers the alcoholic version because it doesn't taste as alcoholic as it is. It's not like a crazy heavily alcoholic, but gin plus bubbles. If anyone's ever been to brunch and had a few too many French 75s, you know that will hit you in a hurry. All the better for me to go through your jewels. <laughs> exactly. I think, right? She wants them more intoxicated than they think they're going to be so that she can take their stuff. So that is the Order of the Crystal Sea. Definitely going on my short list for our favorites for the end of the season. Cantaloupe everything is what I'm saying. We hope that you have enjoyed Anne's wild story, this delicious cantaloupe beverage, and just hanging out with us today. We will be right back here again next week with another tale of a con artist and more beverage action, and we hope you're here with us. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Discover new technology and endless comfort with Victoria's Secret's number one collection, Body by Victoria. With over 3,500 five-star reviews, see what all the hype is about when it comes to their best-selling styles. Their latest innovation features lightweight construction that provides support where you need it without an ounce of padding. Experience unlined perfection with the nearly undetectable Invisible Lift Demi Bra, or comfortably reduce your bust line by up to one inch with the Invisible Lift Minimizer Bra. Available in cups A through G and bands 30 to 44, that's 43 sizes in 22 styles. Shop now at your nearest Victoria's Victoria's Secret store and online at victoriasecret.com. Hey folks, it's Maria. I've got to share this game changer, Akalo's D3 patch. Forget pills, this patch delivers vitamin D3 10 times longer. Boost your immune system, sleep better, regulate mood, and support bone and heart health. Wear a patch before bed and leave it on for 24 hours. It's that simple. Living in the Pacific Northwest without much sunlight, these patches are great for me. Or if you find yourself dealing with the winter blues, they're discreet and perfect for my sensitive skin. Oh, and they even have a patch for hangovers and jet lag if that's something that affects you. Try them today with a money-back guarantee at Akalo.co. Take charge of your health. That's A-K-A-L-O dot C-O. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.